0: ESPN Radio Boy, you come out of last night. I don't know how you can't have big concerns about the 76ers. It's Chris Carlin. It's Amber Wilson on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. We're on the ESPN app and on your smart speakers. At Play ESPN Radio as well. Yes, tight game. Yes, if not for a Giannis block, Sixers maybe at least force overtime. But all these things happened, and the Sixers blew a double-digit lead down the stretch of the game. A big part of it, by the way, was the fact that Doc Rivers did not have Joel Embiid on the floor when Giannis was on the floor. And that led to 15 straight points from Giannis, Amber. And you listen to Joel Embiid after the game, and he thinks maybe that strategy has got to change a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I was on the bench uh, the whole time when I was on the floor. You know, I really uh, made sure that I was always there to help. And, uh, you know, I I thought, you know, we didn't follow up that strategy. Uh, We didn't uh, build the wall, and uh, he had a lot of, Uh, freely to just attack and get whatever he wanted, and I changed the game. Now, maybe next time, just match up the minutes. Yeah, maybe next time we have a better plan. Amber, all of that, and then you factor in, Tyrese Maxey didn't have a great game. Uh, James Harden had 32, but when it came to hitting a big shot, didn't do it. I, I really have major concerns about the 76ers in the East.
1: I don't have concerns about the 76ers from last night. I mean, if it was just last night in a vacuum, I would say, okay, well, they almost won. They challenged the defending champs, and I think the Bucks right now are probably the best team in the East, so I don't have a huge problem – with them losing at the very very end of that game when they had a chance to tie it with two seconds left I also wouldn't have a problem with last night from the 76ers perspective because Harden actually stepped up last night he actually put up the 32 points he actually put up the nine assists last night I mean it wasn't a crazy box score from James Harden but it was effort from James Harden in a big moment in a big game which is certainly not something that we should be taking for granted because it ain't this is how
0: we're grading him now that's a problem
1: well that that does seem problematic it's something that we always see from James Harden is the effort. He did put up the effort last night, but it's the other games before that. It's the last 10 games before that, that do concern me with the 76ers. It's the fact that you can't rely on James Harden as we head here into the postseason. But there's always been that element with James Harden that he shrinks, that he shrinks in in the postseason, that he shrinks in the Western Conference Finals. Fine. But now we're talking about him shrinking in the regular season here like he's done plenty of times with the 76ers just in the short period of time that he's been on that team, the place that he's supposed to be elated to be. So I do have viable concerns here with the 76ers, not necessarily based on last night, but just based on the entire body of work that we've seen since James Harden has joined that team.
0: I just don't love the way this team plays as inconsistently as they do in spurts. And when you have a team like that on the ropes at home, we know how good they are. You have to find ways to step on their throats, and they didn't do it. And, look, it's the regular season, okay? I'm not getting too wound up in all of it. But what I do get wound up in is just trying to get a feel as we wind down with six and seven games left, what's this going to look like in crunch time? In crunch time last night, I saw James Harden take an open shot for a three that would have, in essence, won the game, and he didn't even come close. And then the rebound was Embiid, and, of course, it got blocked by Giannis on a terrific play. We know Giannis is a great, great player, and it doesn't take anything away from Embiid. I just – when you have – it's like drafting players who – you question where their motor is, right? Whenever you hear that, as we approach the NFL draft, you'll hear that about different players. Well, there's a little bit of a question about his motor. To me, that's the automatic, I'm staying away from that guy. If I have to worry about motivating that guy, I'm staying away from him. And James Harden is the classic star with a lack of a motor. I don't know... Where the competitive spirit is in Jason uh, in uh in James Harden at all? I'd I'd love to know where it is because over the years it feels like he has been so close to getting over the hump, but has never been able to do it, and has come up small in big games that he just almost accepts that this is his narrative right now, and and yes, he can still. Have big games, but Amber, can we agree that James Harden is not the player that he was a couple of years ago?
1: It doesn't seem like. I'm getting to that point now where I'm starting to think, man, maybe, maybe he's not. I haven't felt, I haven't gotten to that point yet before this because I felt like he was doing it all on purpose for so long, right? Which is the story of James Harden. It's like, oh, what is James Harden tanking for now? And he's it, always upset about something, right? And so I thought, it, it, on his way out of Houston, oh, he's out of shape. He put on the fat suit. He, he's forcing his way out. And then in Brooklyn, with the situation, the way things went this year and with Kyrie and the vaccine mandate, and he was obviously unhappy there at the end. And so I thought, well, maybe he's milking that hamstring a little extra. And that's really why we aren't seeing him put up the... The effort there in Brooklyn, and now he's where he claims that he wants to be. And so I don't know has he lost a step because he doesn't want Doc Rivers to be his coach, and maybe now Joel is getting on board with that. Based on now we have to try to
0: figure out how he's tanking and what for what reason he's tanking each time.
1: Right, I and, and like how how many years are we having that conversation? Oh well, he's doing this on purpose. You know, it's it's just it's all a choice, and maybe at some point here we realize. It's not fully a choice. Maybe he's just not as good anymore. He's only 32, so it would be young for him to be so far past his prime, so to speak. He's got the injury history. Yeah, I think he
0: knows it, though. I think last year when he went to Brooklyn, there was so much talk about how is this going to work, how are all these great pieces going to fit together, and he said, no, 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 don't worry about it. I'm going to be the guy that takes the step back and lets Kyrie— be more of the alpha in this situation and I'll be the facilitator. And maybe that was because not just he's trying to do the right thing by the team, which is laughable when it comes to James Harden now, but maybe it was because he realized that his skills are deteriorating and let's call it what it is. He is not LeBron James in terms of the work ethic to be healthy and to get his way through these Seasons we don't hear about James Harden spending a million dollars on his body. We hear about James Harden maybe spending a million dollars
1: somewhere else partying. Yeah, we're on the same page
0: doing that. But I I don't think that because he is all of a sudden there. The Sixers are now the best team in the East. And I also think that in a lot of ways, he's really going to put them in jail here. And what I mean is you're going to hand him 250 million. Like It almost feels like with some of these guys, you really have no choice but to do it, and then it's just pray. Then it's just pray that they actually want to accomplish something.
1: There's no reason to give James Harden the benefit of the doubt. I mean, we have seen a large sample size here of James Harden's career. There's no reason to give him the benefit of the doubt. There's no reason to believe that he'll be a different person in the postseason than we've seen in the past. He— put up, like I said, a good effort last night. It's a strange day to have this conversation uh, coming off of 32 last night. But again, there's no reason to believe that this is going to look like this every single night. And even with him putting up 32, even with Embiid putting up 29, they still lost to a better team last night because at the end of the day, I think that Milwaukee Bucks team is just a better team. You mentioned Maxie. He, he was a non-factor last night, only putting up seven points. Tobias Harris actually had a big game last night, which has not been a given for that 76 Sixers team since James Harden joined it but they need their entire cast when they need their cast and it seems like somebody is always missing in terms of effort and ability
0: to the point here's Greeny this morning who understandably is we all are getting a little bit tired of people defending James Harden for how he's playing and maybe that it's part of the injury well hamstring be damned at this point. I've become very frustrated with the excuse-making around James Harden, which is to say, I don't want to hear about a hamstring injury he had last July. I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to hear about how he's logged a lot of minutes. LeBron James has logged more minutes than anybody that ever played the sport. James Harden is not in shape. The reason James Harden is not himself is because he is not in shape. He is not the consummate pro that all these other guys are who are spending a trillion dollars on their bodies and nutrition and all the rest of that. So let's just call it what it is. I don't know why there is this hesitancy to say it, but James Harden at the age of 32, which in the the current NBA is not old at all in sports today, 32, you're still very much in your prime. And the reason he doesn't look like he is anymore is because he is not in the level of shape that the other NBA stars are in. Amber, I just don't know how you put your championship hopes in the basket of a guy like James Harden. I don't I, know how you do it. I, at this they point.
1: they did it though. Like we're already there. They already did it. There there's no take backs at this point. I mean, it's impossible to fully evaluate that trade of course until we know what the Brooklyn Nets got in Ben Simmons. But they did it. This is the 76ers going all in trying to win a championship here and and they're going to need everything from James Harden in order to be able to win one, even in an MVP-caliber season for Joel Embiid.
0: There's a question for you. Are the Sixers still capable of coming out of the East? Are the Sixers still the best team in the East, or do you think they even are? Or are they a one-and-done type situation if they get the Nets in round one? 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Are they legitimate or not? Get on the lines, answer that question, and also what your biggest area of concern for the Sixers would be at this point. It's Chris Carlin, Amber Wilson on ESPN Radio. Up next, their opponents, yeah, they have a little something to say about it as well. Is America disrespecting the city of Milwaukee? We will tell you why they are next on ESPN Radio.
1: ESPN radio. I think they tend to get overlooked in last season, even though they won, most people remember that the nets were having injury issues and
0: Kevin Durant was one shoe size away from sending them home in the second round. We have not given enough credit for a team that has been there, done that. And it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that rank. It's pretty simple. The Milwaukee bucks, they they just don't blink in, in any circumstance. And they are still the best team in the East. Chris Carlin, Amber Wilson, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Series XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. We don't respect them enough. I'll speak for myself. I have not shown them enough respect. And I feel like a lot of people have not shown them enough respect. And, Amber, the reason is pretty simple. They're not a sexy team to watch. Outside of Giannis, when was the last time you uttered a phrase like this? Did you see what Chris Middleton did last night? <laughs> oh, my God. Did you see what Grayson Allen did last night? You know, it it just doesn't happen. Whereas all of these other teams, we talk about the two big superstars. You've got one superstar here, and then you've got a lot of really, really good players that fit around Giannis exceptionally well.
1: The, the truth is that... Unless a team has multiple superstars, we don't talk about the team, right? I mean, we really, really don't. We have this obsession – with multi superstars, if you will. So we spend all of our time talking about the Nets and we spend all of our time talking about the 76ers and we spend very little time talking about a team that is much better than both of those teams in the Milwaukee Bucks and is the defending champs. It's pretty remarkable that you could be coming off of a championship and flying under the radar but that's exactly what Milwaukee has been doing all season long. And same with some of these other teams in the East, frankly, that we also haven't been discussing at all, including my Miami Heat, who are back top the Eastern Conference, but I do think that the Bucks are the team to beat, as much of a Heat fan as I am. I do think the Bucks are the team to beat, in part because, like, you heard Monica McNutt saying that on the way in uh, for a rejoin, it, they've been here before, they've done it, and they're just having done it. You know, it don't mean a thing if you ain't got that ring. Like, they have the ring, and it's incredibly fresh on their hands, and there's no reason to believe that they couldn't repeat and that they couldn't do it again, and I think that this suits the Bucks to have not been talked about all season because maybe people are sleeping on them a little bit. Maybe we're not thinking about them so much and when, in fact, they are the team that I think, frankly, is the best team in the East.
0: Chris Carlin, Amber Wilson on ESPN Radio. And Giannis was in mid-playoff form last night after the game when discussing the standings in the Eastern Conference. I don't know
1: that. I believe that it doesn't really matter. Uh, where you finish because you gotta get yourself in the in in the uh, you know, in in a place. so that you gotta know that you gotta compete in order for you to to uh, win the series, right? Yeah, like if you finish first and you play the eighth team, that doesn't make it easier. And you know, I feel like all the teams in the East are really really uh, good this year, you know. So it doesn't really matter where we finish. We know that you know from the first series, first round, second round, third round, whatever, whatever we go, nothing's guaranteed.
0: The cliche cannon was loaded, and reporters all over the place were getting hit by him. I, that's all I can tell you. And it, it's funny—we don't talk about the Bucks like they've won a championship, but we talk about all those other star teams like they've won multiple championships, mm-hmm. and they haven't done anything.
1: It's rem- it is remarkable. It's just, you know it's where the news cycle is in part because of the market there. I think in Milwaukee, and I would imagine that Giannis likes this because Giannis is that dude who stays in Milwaukee, right? He likes the less likely market. He likes to be overlooked and counted out. And I think that that is going to suit him just fine as we head into the postseason here, where I don't know if he wants everybody counting them in or everybody talking about them all season. If I'm Giannis and I'm the Bucks, I'm thinking that's fine. Give all your attention to the Brooklyn Nets. Give all your attention to the Philadelphia 76ers. And then you'll find out when we play those teams that we were actually the team all along and, hey, by the way, we're the team coming off of that ring. How did you forget? And I think Giannis is probably poised to remind us because Giannis is playing at an MVP caliber. Even in terms of the MVP race, we haven't been talking about Giannis. And there is a very viable argument to be made that Giannis should be the MVP this season, but all the attention's been on Joel Embiid. So Giannis and this Bucks team have been overlooked, but, man, I don't think they're going to be overlooked come playoff time.
0: So exactly where does he stand on that MVP Level right now. It's where I was headed next. So let's hear from Brian Windhorse, ESPN NBA Insider, on Keyshawn J. Will and Max this morning. Once you've won an MVP, or if you've won two, the bar becomes higher. This happened with LeBron. Like, uh, LeBron. Michael. Won, yeah. Yeah. LeBron won four MVPs in five years. And I think I voted for him. I think I gave him my first place vote in something like seven out of eight years there in, Cle- in his Cleveland Miami years. But Le- basically the voters got tired of voting for LeBron. He wasn't just competing against the other guys in the award. He was competing against himself from previous years. Mm-hmm. And that's what Giannis is at right now. Look, Giannis is, it may be a little bit harder for him to win it. Embiid was a front runner, but as of a few weeks ago, as we heard from Wendy earlier, it was Embiid. And now it seems like Jokic is even jumping further out in front of both of them for me. The MVP of the league is Giannis because I I think we just don't pay enough attention to him because of where he is and what that team is doing so
1: quietly by the metrics and the advanced metrics, it's it's Jokic. If you wanted to have a conversation about defense, then you have to enter Giannis and Embiid into that conversation, of course, and then Giannis would win it because he is just a hair below Jokic in a lot of those metrics categories. And then, of course, defensively, he's far superior to Jokic on that end of the ball. But I do think that the eyeballs all season long have been on an Embiid. And I agree with what Brian Wynnehor said. We're kind of numb now, almost, to Giannis's greatness. Even though you and I spoke Earlier in the show, about how he's still developing his game, he's still improving, he's better this season than he was it's in past his best seasons. scoring
0: year of his career. It's
1: unbelievable, he has dramatically improved his mid range shot, which and is you know unbelievable. What else he's doing? More than he's ever done before, get into the line. Yes, as
0: much as that's hard to imagine, it's true.
1: But the problem is, we've seen all this greatness, we're, we're used to Giannis doing things that we've never seen in NBA history. Is there he's Giannis poor.
0: fatigue?
1: And there's almost a Giannis fatigue, and Embiid hasn't mm. won one yet, so I think that's why he's been the focus this season.
0: I think Embiid is a is a much bigger personality, and people like watching his game a little bit more than Giannis. There should not be Giannis fatigue. If there is Giannis, bigger personality.
1: Fatigue. What do you mean? Embiid doesn't have those dad jokes.
0: I, <laughs> All I know is I was there the night when Embiid grabbed the. Uh, Pom poms from the cheerleaders dancing after the game. That guy is as perfect for the city of Philadelphia as there is. He is. I. I, I can't get over Joel Embiid and how well he fits into every little bit of it. It's just a shame. He's not going to win the MVP. The college basketball season is winding down, and that means we've got to turn our attention to the Wendy's Wooden Watch. Go to ESPN.com. Search Wooden Watch for the list of Wooden Award nominees to watch as the season rolls on. Brought to you by Wendy's Breakfast, the official breakfast of march madness chris garland amber wilson on espn radio and on your smart speaker by saying play espn radio up next it's not often that you hear an owner kick a quarterback on the way out the door but we got a big fat wallop in somebody's keister yesterday we'll tell you about
1: that next on espn radio ESPN Radio. Push, push
0: down! Magic made! But Carson Wentz, magic indeed. The Indianapolis Colts have agreed to trade Carson Wentz to the Washington Commanders. When Russell Wilson chose to go to Denver instead of coming to Washington, they pivoted and moved on to Plan B. Pretty much it was they have a list, they're just going to keep going, going down. down with just it. getting a little stability. Not that Carson Wentz is great, but he's better than what they had. Commander Carson. That's how you can refer to him from now on. Commander Carson. I don't believe I will. But nonetheless, we always talk about the incredibly positive impact you can have in a short time when you're a quarterback or a big-time player joining a new organization. It is rare that you see one implode at the lightning speed in which Carson Wentz did in Indianapolis last year. It's Chris Carlin, Amber Wilson on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. How about this from Colts owner Jim Ursay this week at the NFL owners meetings called the Carson Wentz era. In other words, last year, quote, a mistake. I wish Carson well. I think he has a chance to go to a different environment and play great in Washington. It's just for us. It was something we had to move away from as a franchise. It was very obvious. End quote. Wow. At least he wished him well. Wow. At least he wished him well. But let's consider this situation as it unfolded. You have the coach that he had his most success with in Frank Reich when Reich was the offensive coordinator for the Eagles, and that was a move that Frank Reich would have wanted, bring Carson here. He brings him there. They trade away a first-round pick for Carson Wentz, and then some. And within a year, he has burned his way out of town and gets traded for a second round pick. I mean, is there any bigger way of calling somebody a cancer on a team that you had to cut him out and get him somewhere else as quickly as possible?
1: Apparently by calling him a mistake, right? I mean, that's yeah. the other way because that's exactly what Jim Ursay is saying here. And... He sounds salty doing it. And I I don't know if we needed this comment from Jim Ursay, because we all knew it. We all knew what they gave up for him and then what they traded him away for. And we all knew that the Carson Wentz era did not work out well in Indianapolis. We all knew that they must be thrilled there that they traded him away and then ended up getting Matt Ryan. And so we all knew all of this without Jim Ursay making any comments. But to me, he sounded still, I guess, upset about the way that era Went because frankly, I kind of thought this was a little unnecessary here. Chris he sounded mad
0: at Carson Wentz.
1: Well, you know, normally I am one who is preaching on air all the time how I want more transparency, I want more honesty, let's have more fun. I want it all in my sports more bleep talking, more transparency generally. Tell us what you actually mean. Stop talking around stuff. Stop giving us all the old sports cliches, particularly in football when the whole darn thing is cliches every interview. But now I get actual honesty from the owner of the Indianapolis Colts and I'm like, I don't know, maybe a little too much honesty, Jim. I don't really understand why we're kind of kicking Carson Wentz while he's down. It just feels a little unnecessary. I mean, I, I guess you tried to butter him up by saying you wished him well. He actually said, quote unquote, I think the worst thing you can do is have a mistake and try to keep living with it going forward. Well, that's true. Good advice and all, but you're telling us that Carson Wentz is a mistake. And it just feels like when the guy's no longer on your team, and we all already knew that anyways by the actions that you took, that actually telling us this publicly might not have been so necessary.
0: Yeah, and also, though, Amber, this reflects poorly on the coach. Poorly. Because Frank Reich's the guy that wanted Carson Wentz there and pushed to get that trade done and pushed to get – a fir- to give up a first-round pick, a conditional that it turned out to be, to get him there. And you look at Wentz's numbers, and this is a classic case of not being able to evaluate a player by just looking at his numbers. You know, Well over 3,500 yards, mm-hmm. 27 touchdowns, 7 picks. You went, no, that's not too bad. Carson Wentz was bad at times for the Colts last year and was having a bad influence uh, in the locker room. And when I mean bad influence, just not a guy that is a leader as a quarterback. Not he's, he's not getting out, going out and getting in trouble, but he's not somebody that is inspiring others. You know, in Philadelphia, that was the knock, is that for the first couple of years, it went okay, then he got hurt, then the Nick Foles thing happened, and then it was all gone. And to, to defend Carson a little bit there, it's got to be tough to literally walk past a statue of your backup and the head coach drawing up a play in the Super Bowl. Like, Mm -hmm. they have that (laughs) at the Eagles complex, and you have to walk past it every day to get to the locker room. That's tough. But at the same time, like, Carson's best friend on the Eagles when he was there was Fletcher Cox, and the primary reason was they both loved to hunt. That was it. Like, there wasn't anybody else who really – Jumped up and stepped forward and and defended him to no end toward the end. Did he
1: have friends in 2017 when he was great, though? I mean, what was the difference? It hadn't gotten
0: away from him at that point yet, you know, because he was great. Um, I don't think he was universally loved yet, but the guy is playing at an MVP level at that point. He was. And then he gets hurt.
1: He was, and, and yeah. everything changed after the injury, and now the narrative around Carson Wentz, I almost feel like it's spun a little out of control where we act like he's the worst player in planet Earth, and I no. mean, like you just mentioned, he was bad at times with the Colts. He wasn't actually bad all the time with the right, Colts. I th- mean, that- I don't want to sound like Dan Orlovsky out here as the Carson Wentz defender, but it wasn't like everything he did last season was awful.
0: No, but it tells you, that. that's my point, is it tells you there was a lot more going on behind the scenes there That made it that much worse when you can't win with those kind of numbers that speaks to a player's effect on the culture. And that was and I know culture is such an overused word these days, but that speaks to his effect there and why they had to get him out. That to me sounded like if Carson Wentz had been back, there might have been a mutiny. (laughs) <laughs> among players
1: i mean, certainly jim ursay is not a carson wentz fan uh but we already knew that by the actions that he took he definitely did not take the high road here though he let us know how he's feeling about carson wentz and it ain't good apparently it was a mistake
0: 888 say espn eight 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 seven two nine three seven seven six. got a couple of callers have been holding we're going to get some calls in are the 76ers a true contender in the east or is james harden going to end up pulling them down and are the Bucks, frankly, the team that everybody just continues to overlook and headed for another championship? These are questions that are on the table for you. In addition to Wentz, whatever else you want, at 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Chris Carlin, Amber Wilson on ESPN Radio. Next, the next big-time receiver may stay put, but maybe it doesn't make sense for him to do that. We'll tell you who and why next on ESPN Radio. ESPN, ESPN Radio. Radio. This Carlin, Amber Wilson on ESPN Radio. $175.3 million guaranteed. That was spent by the Jacksonville Jaguars this offseason. That, according to ESPN's Mike Reese, he reported that on Sunday. This is the most by any team in the offseason ever. Now, Amber, Mike Tannenbaum's uh, website, the 33rd team, did a study a few weeks back about the teams that spend in free agency and how they end up faring. And for the most part, they actually end up faring pretty well. On average, over the last seven or eight years, the teams that spend a lot usually improve their win total by five wins or so. And then you see them tend to fall off a cliff after that first year. The Jaguars are in a position where they needed to do everything possible to help Trevor Lawrence uh, reach his potential after a bad first year in which there were plenty of mitigating circumstances. He's got some work to do And they have added a lot of help, but, boy, they have really got some work to do.
1: They have spent some serious money, like you said, the most in NFL history this offseason. I credit them for trying to do the work. They're under a new coaching staff, a great hire, I think, in Peterson down there. And then they have to do everything they can to see what they have out of Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence skated last season, Chris. There was no conversation about how terrible he looked because he was skating because of the Urban Meyer drama and the dysfunction around that organization. Trevor Lawrence was bad last season, and he ain't the first quarterback who's a top pick to be drafted by a bad organization. It doesn't normally look that bad. I understand that that organization became particularly dysfunctional, you could argue, but it's not like the Bengals were great when they drafted Joe Burrow, right? I mean, none of these top picks go to great organizations. It's kind of the very nature of being a top pick uh, for better or for worse. And so I do think that at least the Jags have spent here. There's only one way to go. If you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, I think that they're going to be markedly improved. I mean, what does that mean when you won two games last season right now? Hey, maybe the won six, it'll be crazy, but that would be a huge improvement for the Jags. But most importantly, they have to figure Trevor Lawrence out.
0: Yeah. And the other part is you watch what happened with Burrow, Right. He was good before he got hurt uh, in his rookie season. And then he comes back and has the year that he did. They got exceptionally fortunate by getting a guy like Jamar Chase, but they also, the Bengals, spent a lot of money that offseason adding guys like Trey Hendrickson. I don't expect the Jaguars to take that kind of a jump, but they'll be better. the latest NFL blockbuster trade. The Kansas City Chiefs are sending Tyreek Hill to the Miami Dolphins. This is now the fastest wide receiver duo
1: in NFL history. I think the pressure is ramped up as high as you can put it on a tongue of our Lord. Why
0: would you sit there and give up this quarterback and that coach with that franchise when they're in a championship game every year to go sit there with a the quarterback
1: who can't get the ball to you and Tua. My
0: reaction is just like everybody else's. Very unexpected but great for the Dolphins. Right, and now there's another name that keeps coming up when it comes to big-time receivers potentially moved in D.K. Metcalf, but the Seahawks say they intend on keeping him. My question is this. Does D.K. Metcalf want to stay in Seattle? It's Chris Carlin, Amber Wilson on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus presented by Progressive Insurance. Join us on the call-in line at 888-SAY-ESPN, eight 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 seven two nine three seven seven six amber dk metcalf and the seahawks apparently are going to approach a contract extension discussion the seahawks say they quote intend to re-sign and keep him there for the long term just as we were talking about uh language and its importance of intention versus reality now When you see where the wide receiver market has gone, if you're the Seahawks, why would you consider paying DK Metcalf that level of money considering where you are as a franchise right now, which is one that clearly should be talking about rebuilding? And two, if I'm DK Metcalf and I'm only 25 years old, I've got a chance to be that rare thing in the NFL, the guy that gets... Not one, but two big contracts. And I have to think about who my quarterback's going to be for the next several years. I am not putting my fortunes in Drew Locke's hands.
1: Yeah, who's throwing DK Metcalf the ball? I think that that is the conversation we have to start with before we can evaluate whether DK wants to be in Seattle. Because if the answer to that question is, in fact, Drew Locke, then I'm guessing the answer to whether DK wants to stay in Seattle is probably no, depending on the money. Obviously, this all comes down to money, right? We knew Tyreek Hill wanted to stay in Kansas City, reportedly. But then, hey, money. And all of a sudden, the Chiefs could not afford him. And he was even considering the Jets, Chris Carlin. I say (laughs) that, of course, as a Dolphins fan. But with DK Metcalf, it is going to come down to money first, because that's normally what talks here. And if I'm the Seahawks, I don't frankly understand what's the point of poning up the money. Because like you said, They're in a rebuild. If they want to be contenders, then fine. But then why aren't they addressing that quarterback position? And they have seemed apprehensive to do that. Now, could they still try to make a trade for a Baker Mayfield? Fine. Were they the team that maybe offered two seconds for Jimmy Garoppolo because they're inside the division? Possibly. Could there be something there that we're not thinking of if you're Seattle? But if they are going into full rebuild mode, then there is no purpose in extending DK Metcalf when you could trade him away and get as much assets as you can and return for him. And if I'm reading the language, because you mentioned the language about intending to. Now, John Schneider said on Tuesday at the NFL owners meetings when he was asked whether he thinks that a deal will get done there, he said, That's our intent, right? The GM of the Seahawks. Similarly, Pete Carroll also said, we intend for him to be with us. Remember, it wasn't long ago when Pete Carroll was asked that very same question about Russell Wilson. He said, we intend that Russell Wilson is going to be our quarterback. And then, of course, Russell Wilson's uh, the quarterback of the Denver Broncos, and Seattle got a haul in return for him. The intention of this, I think, secretly is that we're going to continue to rebuild and we're going to end up having to trade DK for assets. And I don't think that's a terrible idea from the Seahawks perspective either, even considering how talented DK Metcalf is.
0: So I think Brady Henderson, who covers the Seahawks for ESPN uh, nation, NFL nation did a great job in an article today of explaining how the Seahawks may be approaching it again, accentuating the word intend when talking about signing him. But there was very much a similar discussion a few years ago around Frank Clark prior to the 2019 season, who, of course, was the Seahawks' uh, pass-rushing defensive end. And John Schneider's plan at that point was he intended on giving Frank Clark an extension and staying in Seattle. And then what happened? The Cowboys gave Demarcus Lawrence $21 million a season. That made him the second highest paid uh, edge rusher in the league at the time. And it messed up the market for edge rushers. A couple of weeks later, Frank Clark gets traded. I'm wondering if the Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill deals are going to lead the Seahawks down the exact same road again.
1: They've those guys have reset the market for all wide receivers. And DK Metcalf, of course, is gonna be the top of that list. I mean, when you're talking about Hill getting thirty million in annual average salary and Devontae Adams getting twenty-eight million on average Mike Williams getting 20 million on average of course that increases the cost for DK Metcalf and if I'm the Seahawks it's just not a cost that I'm willing to absorb if in fact like I said that we are rebuilding and it seems like that's the intention so what's the point if that's the intention then of paying him that he's been priced out as great as he is
0: look I I, ju- I think the DK Metcalf is going to be better served somewhere else what will be an ultimate I guess smack in the face to a degree for Devontae Adams is what if the Packers turn around and and take some of those assets and try to trade them for DK Metcalf? I mean, that would be something, you know, and if you're uh, the Packers at that point, you're getting a younger guy who's only 25 and you're paying him for the longer term. And if you're DK, while they may want, not want to trade him in the conference going to play with Aaron Rodgers you're going to find a way to get that next contract.
1: Yeah, that would suit That would suit DK just fine. I would imagine catching footballs from him instead of Drew Locke.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would think it's Although, going to be. I don't be, know,
1: ask Devontae Adams. He wasn't interested anymore.
0: I guess not, but I think he'd just get tired of the Aaron Rodgers show that was constantly going on. Metcalf is, I don't think he's going to be a Seahawk at the start of the year.